What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Passing Downs Podcast. I'm your host, Rahul Padi, and I'm here with my boy, PD. PD, say what's up. What's up? And we're back with another one of our QB room episodes that we've been doing kind of in a series right now. I don't even know how many we've got at this point. We've got a bunch out, and we're getting to kind of the meat of the QB room, so... Definitely tune in to these next ones. They're definitely going to get more and more exciting as we go. And if you haven't checked them out, uh, check out the earlier episodes as well. Uh, Today, we're going to be getting into the Raiders quarterback room and the Rams quarterback room. Both very interesting situations, actually, this year. So with that being said, PD, you want to get started with the Raiders quarterback room? Yeah, let's start talking about Jimmy G. And like we've done for the past couple of episodes, um, kind of start off talking about his game overall and how that's evolved uh, leading into this year. So um, in the past, Jimmy G has kind of been the face of like a distributor type um, at quarterback. And I really like that type of quarterback. Um, But um, the counter to his fearlessness to push the ball over the middle and in tight windows and with pressure in his face um, is the fact that he's constantly injured, um, which is not, um, which is not like the, the main thing that we're trying to rank in, in uh, his ranking specifically, but um, it's a huge factor with his play. Um, And the other thing Mm -hmm. is that that aggression comes at a cost of some of the most disastrous turnover worthy plays you'll ever see in your life. Uh, whether it's fumbles or interceptable passes, he will he will manufacture a turnover-worthy play where you could have never seen it coming. So um, for a quarterback who gets talked about as limited and uh, someone who doesn't have a very high ceiling, I think he plays a style that lends itself in terms of the offense to very high ceiling, very low floor. Um, so that's kind of like a weird discrepancy from what I see versus um, what I see get talked about in the consensus. Um, and then in terms of um, kind of this year, um, well, actually, let's let's get right into uh, how he played this year. So um, let's start off with week one, which he did not play because they were looking to get Trey Lance in the game and he was on the bench and he only started playing games in week two. Um, so let's get right into that week two performance where against Seattle, he comes in at home um, just Plays a solid game, not the most sharp in terms of accuracy, which is kind of expected after um, not getting into rhythm the week before uh, in week one. But um, yeah, came in, played an an okay game, and yeah, the the Niners ruled. Yeah, uh, I'm sure I've said this many times on the pod, and I will say it again. I am a massive Niners fan. So to me, I've seen Jimmy G week in, week out. And before I get into the game, I agree completely with what you said about him as a player overall. Uh, his overall ability gets hindered massively by the fact that he's very, very injury prone. I mean, we saw it multiple years in that Niners little window. I'd say for probably the last half decade-ish in the whole Jimmy G era, they had plenty of opportunities to win it all if that's the sort of thing you're looking at. And the biggest reasons were always Jimmy G's either playing hindered or injured in the playoffs or he got injured earlier down the line in the season entirely. And that's just how things ended up going for the Niners that season. So definitely a tough thing for him to look at overall. But getting into this game, 
Uh, I think he came out a little shaky, to be quite honest. And honestly, it was expected. Uh, this was supposed to be Trey Lance's year, and he obviously came in being the starter in this game before that injury pretty early on in the game. Uh, and Jimmy G kind of looked like that guy who was just thrown in there. Uh, he wasn't terrible by any means, but he was definitely he definitely didn't look fully prepared at this point, especially because at the end of the previous season, he did have shoulder surgery. He was kind of dealing with that all the all throughout the offseason, as well as not really integrated with the team because the Niners weren't sure if they wanted to head in the direction of trading him. So that's kind of what he looked like here. He was a little shaky. His accuracy was a bit off, but he did, after a couple of drives, settle in a little bit, kind of get into his game, uh, get his quick release going, and it was a solid performance overall given the circumstances. Yeah, um, so moving on from that game to... Oh boy, the next game uh, in Denver. This is we we talked about it on the Russell Wilson episode. This was a masterclass <laughs> of offense. Um, discussed the Russell Wilson side in heavy detail last time. Um, but as for the Jimmy G side of things, yeah, it was it was not much better. Um, so he put the ball in harm's way three times, um, twice with interceptable passes. One of them being a dropped interception, and one with an absolute disastrous fumble that resulted in a safety. Um, he really didn't get much going, despite some very easy short completions. Um, wasn't pushing the ball into the tightest windows. Um, only a couple of throws that were particularly impressive at all. Just horrible performance overall. Um, yeah, and the Niners' offense stalled as a result. Yeah, I think I've d- described this as an absolute offensive disaster class uh, when we were doing the Russell Wilson episode. And I think this is, it was definitely the same thing on the other side of the ball. Uh, This was very, very rough. I think the game was kind of, for him, encompassed in one play, which was the, the, I believe this was the game where he just walked out the back of the end zone. And at this point, I think everyone had lost full hope in Jimmy G because it just looked like he was completely flustered and out of it in this one. He was under pressure constantly. Oh, taking a lot of bad sacks. I feel like he put the ball in harm's way a couple of times. Uh, his accuracy wasn't quite there. I'd say this is one of his roughest performances of the year. Uh, definitely a tough one. And honestly, made me and a lot of people think that Jimmy G was done. Yeah, um, not, too, not too bad of an assumption. But um, speaking of Jimmy G being done... He comes back the next week and kind of lights it up. Um, very, very strong game where he pushed the ball down the field a couple of times. Um, was sharp with his processing, took zero sacks. Um, didn't put the ball in harm's way at all. Um, I thought he played a really strong game here. Um, and the Niners offense was very, very good as a result. Yeah, in this game, he did definitely get a chance to redeem himself a little bit after what was a terrible performance in the last one. And I think it was honestly a little expected uh, with how the Niners have been performing against the Rams in recent memory in general with Kyle Shanahan. And then this year, obviously, being a down year for the Rams, uh, I think they just came in with a great game plan, and Jimmy G executed it perfectly. That's kind of the sort of thing he does. This was a big Debo Samuel game, and he was just able to get the ball to the right people at the right time, on the money. Not too many throws that I remember in this game that particularly impressed me, but he definitely did his job, which is what Jimmy G does best at this point. 
Yeah, and moving to the next game against Carolina. So this one was okay for me. Um, he didn't put the ball in harm's way um, multiple times. He only did once. Um, and a number of throws in the intermediate range that were well well placed. Um, one explosive play down the field. Um, he did take two sacks. I didn't think either of them were on him. Um, and yeah, I did a good job of kind of getting the ball out of his hands at a decent rate. And yeah, the Niners offense was pretty good. Yeah, I honestly would give him a bit more credit than decent in this one because I was somewhat impressed in this one. He seemed to be a little bit more poised in this game than he had been all year. This seemed to be the one where he finally got settled in after not having an offseason and whatnot and not really, you know, starting the year being the guy, their go-to guy. Uh, This game, I saw him spread the ball a lot, which normally we don't see a whole lot from Jimmy G. So that was that was pretty impressive to me. His accuracy on those short, quick type of throws were back for the most part. But honestly, this game you can't really extract a whole lot of because the Niners are clearly overmatching this Carolina team. Uh, the run game was absolutely dominant. And Jimmy G is at his best, to be fair, working off that run game when he's got play a bunch of play action to cut off half the field. It, it's honestly wasn't too tough of a matchup for him but he definitely did what he needed to do yeah and moving on to the next game against Atlanta this one was a little bit tougher so it was very up and down um he did push the ball down the field a couple of times um, for nice explosive plays was aggressive in testing tight windows but man (laughs) puts the ball in harm's way three times very bad fumble in here um, multiple interceptable passes, both of them being interceptions. Um, doesn't take any sacks, though, so very up-and-down performance, but um, ended up being okay in the end, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, I like that you said up-and-down, because honestly, this game epitomized to me how inconsistent Jimmy G is, and that's kind of plagued him throughout his whole career, not only with injuries, but in terms of play, and I feel like we really saw it here. Coming into this one against a pretty bad Falcons team, I think the Niners were heavy favorite favorites, especially the way they were rolling. And it was really disappointing to see how Jimmy G played here because he pretty much threw this game out of reach for them. And it was very up and down because we saw the highs in the second quarter. We saw two touchdown drives to Brandon Ayuk, uh, both on pretty tight window throws as well. Uh, like PD said, more than most games, we saw Jimmy G test a lot of those tight windows a lot more in this one. And he was still pretty accurate overall. But like I said, there was those downs. And in the second half, uh, San Francisco got completely blank because Jimmy G just seemed out of sync. He was a lot more inaccurate. He put the balls in harm's way multiple times. And that's what ended up causing all those offensive mishaps is just him turning the ball over and essentially throwing them out of this game. And I think this is the type of games that you just can't have out of a Jimmy G because if he's so limited in his, you know, positive side, you don't want him to make the amount of mistakes he is. And this game was the perfect example of that. Yeah. And speaking of mistakes, um, let's move to the next game where uh, against Kansas City, um, he has a really, really bad interception and fumble in here. Um, Multiple turnover-worthy plays through the air um, with the one dropped interception. Like, these were game-killing type of mistakes. Um, The Niners were driving really well um, before that 
these happened and um yeah he he wasn't even able to make up for it with um explosive passes or anything of the sort just just really rough mistakes um leading to a bad game from him yeah and i think this once again shows that up and down nature that i was talking about with jimmy g because he does it again here i remember in this first half this was a very close game between the Chiefs and Niners. Uh, granted, the Chiefs did make a couple of mistakes early on to make that happen, but it was because Jimmy G had this offense rolling. He had his accuracy on point at this time. I believe at this point he had not put the harm, ball in harm's way just yet. And second half comes around, and you get an early interception. Later in that half, you get a fumble, and that's what puts them away in this game completely. Uh, Jimmy G shoots himself in the foot once again, and that's what ends up making the Niners lose this. And you see this a lot versus good teams where you need Jimmy G to be that guy who just does his job, makes those quick throws, but doesn't make those mistakes. And we see the problem with him taking too much pressure in this game as well. Five sacks against the Kansas City defensive line that's honestly not super impressive in this season is uh, pretty disappointing. And I would say a lot of that was just him holding the ball way too long and just folding, taking a sack. That happens all the time with him, and it happened again in this game. Uh, just a tough performance from him once again. Yeah, and moving on to the next game. So at, from this point um, through the end of his time as the starting quarterback, I think that um, everything is pretty pretty decent or, or better. Um, so against L.A., they go to L.A., and he's just completely in a rhythm, very locked in. Um, does put the ball in harm's way one time and it's a dropped interception but man he was really good this game just very accurate decisive Um, ball was coming out of his hands fast Um, he was pressured and sacked on three plays um, but I think that he did a good job to mitigate pressure overall Um, yeah just a really really strong performance from him in terms of the efficiency Um, and yeah good support from from the team as well uh, yeah, I completely agree, to be honest. I think this marked the start of the stretch of Jimmy G's career where he was probably at his best in a Niners uniform. He was pretty much lights out from starting from this game to the end of his time starting until he got injured. And it was good to see him go up on top. And this was one of those games where he was just lights out. I mean, you can see just from his, the numbers, his accuracy was completely on point in this one. Uh, he took a little bit less pressure than normal, which was good. And to be honest, I think the plays where he did get sacked, it was really just Aaron Donald being a generational player and just destroying the line and making a, making a sack. There's not much you could do there. But in terms of what he could control, he was honestly on point completely. He was making those quick throws with the quick release, making the right read every single time, spreading the ball out. And unlike most Jimmy G performances, we saw multiple throws downfield. And I will say it was because the Rams defense had plenty of holes. Shanahan once again outcoached McVay and made plenty of plenty of plays where we had wide open guys all over the place. And that's what caused this for Jimmy G. But still, he still got the ball to all these guys on the money uh him and Christian McCaffrey had a very good connection in this one uh it was a lot of dump offs but he was making the right decisions and that's really what you need from him uh this was one of Jimmy G's best games I'd say yeah and moving on to the next game where again um 
played played a really strong game in primetime this time. Um, yeah, aggressive, accurate, decisive with the ball. Was really good about not taking sacks. Did he was holding the ball a little bit more um, in this game overall? But I think that he still ended up having a clean game, which is kind of rare for Jimmy. Um, the deeper that you go into the play, the the worse it usually tends to get. But not this game. Um, efficient with the ball, accurate. Um, didn't make any turnover worthy plays. Just just a very solid game overall for me. Yeah, and as one of Justin Herbert's biggest fans, I have to say Jimmy G absolutely outperformed him in this one. And I do think Herbert's stats lie a little bit in this game, and we'll get into that when we get into Herbert later. But as far as Jimmy G goes, I agree once again. He was completely lights out, especially when the Niners shifted from going to Christian McCaffrey in the run game to Elijah Mitchell. Things started to work, and that's where you saw Jimmy G get into his groove playing off that run. And yeah, once again, he was just making those quick throws, getting the ball to his playmakers' hands, and just letting them do their thing. Uh, you kind of see a string at this point of him having a good connection with Ayuk, and that connected uh, continued in this game as well. Uh, he was just getting the guy the ball to the right people, and he did a good job of not taking pre- too much pressure in this game as well compared to a lot of his other games. Even though he wasn't particularly mobile or anything, he showed a lot of good pocket awareness here. And that's why you don't see too many sacks. You don't see too much pressure. And he was getting rid of the ball very, very fast. Uh, he wasn't asked to do a whole lot in this game. Uh, but down the stretch, he was uh, asked to have one drive to finish the game off. And he was able to do that. And overall, just impressive performance. He was a lot less up and down in this game as well. Yeah, and moving on to the next game against a bad Cardinals team. Um, yeah, this this like they're totally overmatched. Uh, Jimmy didn't have to do much. Played a very clean game, no sacks. Um, just yeah, just they just picked them apart, play after play. Um, and yeah, he did. He played his role as a distributor very well in this game. Um, he he was fine overall. <laughs> yeah, pick them apart is honestly the perfect way of describing it. Because this game was honestly a travesty to watch as a Cardinals fan. And they just look completely overmatched. It seemed at this point in the season where we're still only, I believe, 11 games in at this point, the Cardinals looked like they had completely given up on the season. And Jimmy G really was not asked to do a whole lot here. You see a bunch of big stats put up, but it was really just him dumping it off to guys like George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey, and them just breaking a ton of tackles. I remember one play specifically where Jimmy G throws the ball to George Kittle down the sideline late in the game, and George Kittle is just running down the sideline with a full head of steam, and the Cardinals' defense simply got out of the way. They could not be asked to try to stop this offense. Uh, This was when the Niners' offense was really rolling, and yeah, it was a solid game from Jimmy G in, in terms of him doing his job, but because he wasn't asked to do a whole lot, I can't take a lot out of this game. But solid performance from him for sure. Yeah, um, and moving on to the next game against the Saints. So this is going to be his last full start. Um, yeah, he was he was more average in this one, um, I thought. Put the ball in harm's way for a dropped interception, um, only took one sack and was very efficient distributing the ball again. Um, yeah. And the Niners offense just, just rolled as, as they kind of, they, they're really rounding out into form in this one. Um, and as we'll talk about in an upcoming episode, um, 
yeah, the, the next quarterback does take the reins and, and keep it going. Um, so great performance from the Niners offense overall. Um, and Jimmy was pretty solid in his role again. Yeah, this was really that home stretch in that uh, Niners season last year that really got this offense going, kind of as you hinted at, PD. Uh, but despite that, I do agree that this was probably one of his less like impressive games of this stretch. But that doesn't say a whole lot considering how good he was in like these last three, four games. As we've both said, he was very, very impressive. And this one, he was solid. Uh, nothing insane, but still very, very, very solid performance. His accuracy dropped a little bit in this game. Uh, I think it's because that New Orleans secondary is a bit more stingy than uh, he had faced the last previous few weeks. But despite that, he still made no mistakes. And as we said, a no-mistake Jimmy G game mostly ends up being a good game for him. He also took very little pressure, only one sack, which honestly I didn't even think was his fault. And even with the run game not really getting going in this game, Jimmy G was still able to perform and put good drives together. Uh, Even though it wasn't as high power and uh, prolific of an offense as we're used to from the Niners, there was a lot more three and outs in this one and a lot of miscommunications uh, compared to the regular Niners offense that uh, I guess fans had been accustomed to for the past month or so. Uh, it was still a solid, grinded-out offensive performance for Jimmy G. Uh, a lot of quick shirt throws. He didn't really test the deep or you know attack deep in the field at all this game, and I think that had to do with the Saints' defense playing well. Uh, but overall, solid performance still. Yeah, and moving on to his final game, um, not much to discuss here. He throws four passes, um, a couple of ones down the field, um, I mean, yeah, he, he gets injured and misses the rest of the season, um, in this game. Does take a sack as well. So, um, yeah, that's yeah, not, not really his, much to add. Uh, yeah, this was a tough game for him for sure. Uh, that injury looked rough at the time and it ended up ending a season in his time with the Niners. So it's always tough to see. All right. So let's quickly touch on. Um, Brian Hoyer and Aiden O'Connell. So Brian Hoyer has just kind of been yes. a vet backup who's there for counseling. Um, he's kind of a coach in the quarterback room type thing. Um, if he does end up playing, you're probably not getting particularly good quarterback play at this point. Too old for that. Um, and then with Aiden O'Connell, we've touched on him in our um, draft breakdown episode um, with all the quarterbacks who we didn't talk about in uh, their own singular episode. Um, very, very high volatile player, high volatility player, um, is ag- aggressive pushing the ball down the field um, and can make big throws at times, but the consistency is extremely lacking. Um, he should be a fun watch if he ever s- sees the field for people who are like into the Jameis Winston style of quarterback. But um, <laughs> yeah, in terms of actual level of play, I don't think he would be particularly good um, if he stepped on the field. Um, so let's look into how Jimmy G could play this season. So let's look at all of the percentiles of outcomes and then quickly touch on um, his fit with the team. So for me, um, I think he has good synergy with um, the guys on this roster, like Devontae Adams, Jacoby Myers, Hunter Renfro, all of those guys, strong route runners who can win underneath um, 
I do wish they they added someone who could like I guess Adams can do this, but like really take the top of the defense for him to occasionally throw um, one of those passes deep down the field. Um, I guess he is kind of limited in that sense, but um, it would be nice to just have that as a spacing component for the offense. Um, And then I I think that his play style kind of mitigates offensive line concerns. Um, But um, I, I like the development that Colton Miller has shown for sure. Um, the rest of their offensive line probably does need work. Um, so looking at his potential outcomes for this season, I think at, at very worst, um, on a per-game basis when he's healthy, he will at the very worst look like a high-end backup. Um, and then like a bad outcome, like 25th percentile type thing, um, as like kind of like a baseline, um, I think he will look like, more of like a low end starter, like in that 26 to 30 type of range. Um, the median outcome for him, just like in the years past, is probably closer to the end of the teens, um, maybe high 20s type of thing. Um, but if he really steps it up and looks more like his prime self, um, he's kind of rejuvenated on a new team, I guess. Um, he could look like a more of like the middle of the pack type of starting quarterback and his very highest outcomes. Um, I think he could be in the group right below the Pro Bowlers, um, but I don't think he will ever be that good. Yeah, uh, to get into the his fit with the team, uh, I I feel like him and Josh Jacobs is honestly a perfect fit. Uh, I think Jimmy G is best when he's under center and is able to play a lot off play action, maybe go in the shotgun a little bit. But I think Jimmy G will thrive having a power back like Josh Jacobs on the team. Uh, we haven't seen too much of that. But when we have a little bit with guys like Eliza Mitchell, uh, you see him being able to play off of that well, get in that play, play action role, dump it off quick to his guys. Uh, so I think in that sense, the offense is good. And in terms of the receiver room, you obviously have one of the best receivers in the league in Devontae Adams. And we saw for like half a decade in Green Bay, we saw him be able to win right off the line in quick slants, quick ins, get over the middle of the field and just be a huge target for uh, a guy like Aaron Rodgers. And I think Jimmy G can do that same type of quick three to five step drop, dump it off to Devontae Adams right away. I feel like he's a great guy for that. And I think Jacoby Myers, I mean, he plays a similar kind of play style as a receiver as Jimmy G does a quarterback with both of them being Patriots products. I feel like systematically they just mesh well. And Hunter Renfro is also a very similar type of player. Uh, you could tell the Raiders missed him a lot last year. So I think he's going to be a huge addition for uh, them as well. And I think Hunter Renfro is very similar to the type of receivers Jimmy G thrived with in San Francisco. Uh, so I do like that for him. And uh, you did mention that they don't really have a guy to take the top off. I think they kind of have that in a guy like DeAndre Carter. Obviously, he's not the most talented in that, but he is very, very fast. And I think when you have someone like Jimmy G who can't attack downfield, you don't want to invest too much in a speedster that is primarily a deep shot kind of guy because Jimmy G's really not going to get you that more than maybe once a game, or actually I'd say once every couple of games. Uh, And even then, it's got to be wide open, especially at this point in his career with the injuries. So honestly, I think this wide receiver room is perfect for him. I think Austin Hooper as well is a great addition. Uh, 
Jimmy G always did love going to his tight ends. Maybe not necessarily Kittle as much as he should have in San Francisco, but a possession tight end type of guy that he could hit a lot over the middle, uh, who's always open, should be good. And I do agree with you, PD, that offensive line is not as much of a concern with him as other quarterbacks in terms of play style because of how fast he does get rid of the ball. Uh, but we do need to point out the fact that Jimmy G is super injury prone, and a lot of those injuries have come from him just being immobile in the pocket and then maybe a tackle or something letting a guy through. He gets it, hit and injured. That's happened pretty much every year he's been in San Francisco. So I would still bring that up as a position of concern, uh, especially considering what you did say earlier with Brian Hoyer and Aiden O'Connell. Uh, the Raiders definitely do not want either of those guys in playing considerable time. And with the uh, Raiders offensive line being kind of murky at the moment, that's definitely something for concern. And another thing to bring up, maybe you'll want to touch on it a little bit. Uh, recently, a lot of reports have shown uh, with Jimmy G's physicals coming out with the Raiders and stuff that he may not be even fit to play to start the season. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so we're trying not to do injuries when we talk about the the player and kind of more factor it into the ranking of the quarterback room. But like if Jimmy G is injured to start the season and, and even misses a bunch of time, like that this this quarterback room is going to rank towards the bottom. It's going to be more similar to like what we said about the Cardinals, like Colt McCoy out there um, with the back with the, the backup disaster that they have beyond Colt McCoy, too. Um, like Aiden O'Connell and Brian Hoyer gives you virtually no chance to, to win uh, any game. So, um, yeah, it would be a gigantic loss if, if Jimmy G can't start right away for them. Yeah, I completely agree. And I also, when I get into my range of rankings in a second, I will not be accounting for this in my rankings yet because we don't know anything much about it. It's all speculation at the moment. And even if it is injury, that's not going to affect how uh, I feel about Jimmy G's play at the moment. We know he's going to get injured. Uh, but going if we're talking about the QB room, this is obviously a massive thing for the Raiders quarterback room as a whole. If they can't get Jimmy G on the field right away, starting a guy in, like Brian Hoyer in 2023 just isn't going to run. It's not acceptable at this point. Even starting someone like Aiden O'Connell, which I think they might have to go to because uh, I don't think Brian Hoyer at this age can sustainably play for a whole season. They will probably have to go to a younger guy like Aiden O'Connell. Uh, with how inconsistent he was even in college, uh, that's definitely a very, very concerning start for the Raiders. And he does have the tools. He's a very big guy, big arm as well. Uh, and we saw a lot of highlight plays at Purdue for sure, but throwing him in would definitely not be uh, optimal for the Raiders. And one thing I do want to touch on with this QB room as a whole, uh, me and PD, we both agreed that Jimmy G is absolutely a good fit for the Raiders schematically in terms of this roster. But I will say, I don't think Jimmy G is a good t fit for the Raiders organization as a whole. And I don't really understand what they are thinking with this sort of move in Jimmy G. Uh, and I think I've touched on this in the past on this podcast, but I just don't understand bringing in a guy like Jimmy G at this point in their organization to the QB room because moving on from Derek Carr, 
who's obviously been your franchise guy for a very long time. Granted, he was falling a bit. If you do want to rebuild at this point, or if you want to win now, you probably either want to go and upgrade over Derek Carr sizably, or, you know, blow it up and rebuild. And I think Jimmy G right here is a lateral move at best. And I could have understood them maybe going for someone like Aaron Rodgers or maybe even a Russell Wilson. Uh, not that either of those were really on the table for them, but just to provide an example, if they were to do something to give a major upgrade uh, at the quarterback position and run it with the current offense they have, they obviously do have a lot of talent on this offense. Uh, I could see that possibly working. But I just don't understand the fit of Jimmy G, especially when you just played with a quarterback with similar talents, similar skill sets in Derek Carr, and things did not work out whatsoever. It's very clear that this team will not compete in the AFC this year, but you're still going to try to move on from the guy who's been your franchise for a very long time and attempt to do something with this roster, which pretty clearly is not going to work out unless, you know, something something crazy happens. Maybe Jimmy G takes a huge leap. Uh, I just simply don't understand the move here. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that, PD? Yeah, I mean, yeah, timeline-wise, the Raiders need, like, a total reset. And I guess, like, they might accidentally get it if Jimmy G just has this injury thing and it causes him to miss time. But, um, yeah, I think organizationally they could have structured it a little bit better. Um, but that's not really the focus of our podcast, so uh, we can only think about what Jimmy G can control himself. Um, so yeah, that'll wrap up our discussion of the Raiders quarterback room. So let's oh, move on quick, to. Let me give my rankings of where I would put. Oh Jimmy yeah, yeah. G. Go for it. Yeah. Go for it. So yeah, I'll say median level outcome for a guy like Jimmy G. I think he'll end up being kind of similar to. Maybe not last year because I feel like he had a bit of an up year in a new offense. I think he'll end up being in a similar type of area to where he has been uh, throughout his time with the Niners, which to me is slightly below average as a quarterback, maybe late teens to early 20s type of quarterback. Uh, If things really get put together, uh, him and Devontae Adams thrive or whatever, and all this talent on this Raiders offense makes it work, I could see him being an above average, maybe even pushing top 10 quarterback. Uh, And on the downside, if the injuries keep lingering that we've been hearing about, or maybe even new injuries that come about, which is always possible for a guy like Jimmy G, or if, you know, a lot of turnovers happen, kind of like that, what happened in San Francisco, and maybe to a little bit higher extent, I could see him fall to like, the mid twenties to low twenties, uh, in a low end outcome. All right. So now that will wrap up our discussion of the Raiders. So let's move on to the Los Angeles Rams quarterback room, um, headlined by Matthew Stafford coming off a bit of a rough year and then Brett Rippon and Stetson Bennett behind him. So, um, let's talk a little bit about Matthew Stafford's game. Um, Stafford has one of the most powerful arms in league history, in terms of velocity, in terms of deep uh, pushing the ball deep down the field, it doesn't really matter. He can do it all. Um, in terms of arm, he has a very flexible arm too. Um, it just really has a lot of different creative releases in his bag, um, which is pretty helpful when he's under pressure. Um, he's one of the most fearless quarterbacks under pressure, um, building off of that previous point. Um, he's willing to take massive hits. 
um, in order to get completions and is extremely good um, throwing over the middle of the field and has advanced himself very well in terms of going through progressions and, and getting to his next read. The problem is the cost of taking those big hits is very high in terms of injury. Um, he's always injured. Every year he's pl- either playing through injury or missing time due to injury, um, and it causes a drop-off in his play, which is something that we did factor into the ranking. Um, his ability to play through injury is impressive, but it does lead to worse play, so that's um, kind of why the Rams quarterback room is ranked here. Um, and then also, um, he has pretty poor ball control um, in terms of not throwing the ball to the defense. He's extremely happy to take an interception, Um Oftentimes, he will really force the ball into situations that have no no real chance um, of of re- rewarding um, the offense, and um, that's kind of uh, a big thing in terms of um, causing a decline in, in his play from um, what it, what it really should be. When you look at just the positive uh, explosive play generation, he's very bad at avoiding those those kind of big negative plays. Um, but I think. In totality for his career, he's been a very good quarterback. Um, he's just kind of on the wrong side of, of the aging curve at this point. Um, and coming off a, a season where he was significantly injured um, and a team that hasn't really got much depth anywhere, um, it's hard to see him achieving some of the high-level high outcomes that we've, we will highlight um, towards the end of the podcast. And, um, yeah, he seems to be somewhat declining physically um but not entirely his movement is like totally gone at this point um but the arm is still really powerful um and yeah you can talk a little bit about Stafford's game if you want to and then I'll get into um his performances yeah, this the year. game but yeah for sure one thing I did like that you mentioned and I wanted to touch on as well is the amounts of hits he takes I think uh, across the NFL fandom, Stafford has gotten a little bit of an appreciation uh, because of how tough he is. We've seen heard plenty of stories of him grinding it out through really, really gruesome injuries. And, you know, we see him stay in the pocket, take that big hit to deliver that big time throw. We see it time and time again, I think. Because he's a quarterback doing those things that you don't necessarily see too from too many quarterbacks in the league anymore. Uh, a lot of people have grown to appreciate that. But like PD said, that does come with the cost. I think throughout the end of his career, or honestly his entire time at Detroit, and even we're seeing it now in L.A., he's dealing with plenty of injuries. And in his age right now, it's getting to the point where his body is just deteriorate, deteriorated and is just letting him down cons- consistently to the point where he honestly may not even be able to play quarterback consistently because that's kind of what it seemed like last year. Uh, Reports now are saying he's looking healthier, he's looking better, and that's good to hear. I hope things like that continue, but that is definitely a point of concern at this point, especially with him. Uh, Even coming into the league was never a guy that would run around or be uber athletic, and the more these injuries pile, that's just going to be tougher and tougher for him. Uh, But one thing I will... Uh, praise to him and add on here is despite that and despite the mistakes which PD did get into he is very mistake prone when he is at his best and when he is on he could challenge her being a top seven top five quarterback in the league because that is the type of talent he has that's the type of arm strength he really has like PD said one of the best arm talents 
honestly, we've had in the past couple of decades, just purely based off that trade alone. Uh, it's lasted him this long in the league. So, yeah, definitely something. And that's why uh, we saw that Super Bowl run just a year ago. It was him getting hot at the right time, putting together a bunch of good games, elite level games, very, very good quarterback play, simply because when he's at his best, when he's not making those mistakes, when his health is holding up, he is one of the best. It's just tough because I did just roll off a bunch of ifs right now, and we don't know what version of Matthew Stafford we're going to get. And as we get into this game, I think the entire NFL world realized this early on in this first game against Buffalo. Yeah. Um, quickly before I get into that Buffalo game, uh, just to draw a quick analogy, he reminds me of like a, a tough volume scoring guard in, in basketball where like he makes really tough throws, um, can kind of move, has some fundamentals to him, but um, all of that stuff comes at a cost where in basketball it would be something like efficiency for him. It's health and, and consistency. Um all right, so let's go. Hooper, Hooper. <laughs> I I am really. Um, <laughs> so let's so let's get into this first game against Buffalo. So um, this one was a tough performance um, for the Rams' offense as a whole. Not res- not necessarily all on Stafford. Um, he took seven sacks, and I don't think most of them were his fault. The Rams' offensive line was just total garbage this year. Um, couldn't really get um, many games where they were strong pass blocking, um, and. He kind of played poorly, um, put the ball in harm's way twice. He had three interceptions. One of them wasn't really his fault. There was a miscommunication on a route. Um, and he did have a fumble that I thought was his fault. Um, had a number – oh, one thing we forgot to mention with Stafford, he can shoulder a really heavy volume load, um, can throw a ton of passes for you, and um, that's always been one of his better strengths. Um, and that was reflected in this one where he had 50 dropbacks and 41 pass attempts. So a big-time volume game. Um but despite the fact that he made a couple of really impressive throws, um, it ended up being average because of the times that he did put the ball in harm's way um, and the fumble that he had. Um, so, yeah, tough first game for the offense as a whole, but Stafford was kind of meh, I would say. Yeah, I honestly think you might be giving him a bit too much credit. Uh, and I'll, I'll agree that this Rams offense was absolutely terrible throughout from top to bottom in this one. Uh, I think the Bills did this to a couple of teams early in this year where they were really good and they just rolled over teams and the Rams just happened to be the first victim here. Uh, we do. I will acknowledge that the run game was absolutely non-existent and pretty much every receiver that was not named Cooper Cup was shut down completely uh, by that Bills secondary, which is really good. I know Allen Robinson had a ton of high hopes coming into this game, and a common theme in this season was how bad he was, and we saw him absolutely ghost in this one. So I will give Stafford the you know the credit that this team was very bad around him, especially in this game. Uh, but I will say all those, almost all of those three interceptions, if not all of them, were his fault in my opinion. He put the ball in harm's way countless times early in this game and throughout. Uh, His accuracy seemed a bit off. I think most importantly and most worrying for him in this season, and we saw it being a common theme, is just that arm strength and just 
absolute raw talent in that aspect did not look as impressive in this game as it has in previous years, and that kind of lingered throughout. Uh, that elbow injury that kind of bothered him coming into the year seemed to really take effect in this game. You just didn't see that same zip on the ball that you normally see from a Matthew Stafford throw. He just he also wasn't targeting like downfield that you would see Stafford do a lot, even the year prior, and especially when he was in Detroit. Uh, he was really just attacking the short to inter- intermediate range of the field. And with Stafford's skill set, that's just simply not the kind of way he should be playing. Uh, and PD did say a lot of those sacks were not his fault, which I would agree. But I do think, in general, he received a lot of pressure in this game. And, yeah, the offensive line was bad, but I think he was second-guessing himself because of all these things going on, him not clearly being at his best physical shape, and he was holding the ball way too long in a lot of those plays that weren't sex. And that's why it was screwing up the rhythm of this offense, making things go wrong left and right. Uh, Just a overall rough performance from him that, doesn't change too much as we go further into the year. All right, moving on to the next game. So a little bit of a minor bounce back, but um, his decision-making was pretty poor. Um, He kind of got into a rhythm at points in this game, was able to string together completions um, with some of them being really impressive deep throws um, and a number of intermediate passes that were pretty good. Um, But yeah, three turnover-worthy plays, two interceptions with one dropped interception in this one. Um, that's going to ke- put a ceiling on um, how good your impact can be if you're not making like five, six explosive plays down the field. Um, and he didn't do that in this one. So just just an okay game overall, in my opinion. Um, much better job dealing with pressure for the offensive line overall. Um, so that kind of allowed him to play better than the previous game, I thought. Yeah, he's definitely no Josh Allen where he can get away with all those mistakes you mentioned uh, with big plays because that just isn't happening for him at this point in his career. And I will agree that this was a bit of a bounce back game, but still a lot of the same kind of problems that we felt were a problem in that week one game. Uh, And I think this epitomized his up and down performance kind of thing. I talked about it with Jimmy G. And honestly, throughout the year when we went into Stafford games, this was something I was touching on. Stafford was super bipolar this season, very, very up and down. And this was one of those games. You do have drives, like PD mentioned, where he was making great tight window throws downfield. Him and Cooper Cup once again had a very good connection in this one. He had pretty good drives, I believe, in the first quarter. Even even some good ones in the second. But when the second half came around and they're kind of challenged to put the game away, they let the Falcons come back because Matthew Stafford was either turning it over or throwing balls in the dirt type of thing, overthrowing guys. And that inconsistency injected, you know, fuel into the other team, brought them back almost all the way. Luckily, the Rams were able to escape with this one because the Falcons were not very good. But this is just an example of Stafford's, you know, inconsistency bringing teams back. And that's kind of the problem with him. But I will uh, acknowledge, I agree that he did a much better job of dealing with pressure in this game. Granted, it was the Atlanta defense who is pretty damn bad. But 
despite that, he was able to shoulder a big load once again, throwing the ball. The run game was not going his way, which is common theme this year as well. And he dropped back nearly 40 times and just threw, threw the Rams uh, into winning this game. So despite all those mistakes, I would also agree it was an okay performance. All right, moving on to the next one, which is objectively a good performance. Um, he has uh, a couple of ex- explosive plays down the field, one of them being dropped um, by Cooper Cup, which was which was kind of jarring to see. Um, only took one sack, wasn't really pressured much in this game. Uh, Cardinals obviously being a very bad defense. Um and he was just very efficient uh, in this game. Um, the run game was a big-time support for him. He didn't have to do as much volume-wise. Um, and yeah, he, those couple explosive plays down the field were good enough for me to give him a strong performance in this one. Yeah, This game was kind of weird for me, to be honest, because for whatever reason, the Rams' offense was not on the field a whole lot. And it's not because... You know, the Cardinals were dominating either offensively because they barely scored. But they were just on the field for a very long period of time. And because of that, I feel like the game script didn't really allow Matthew Stafford to do what he normally does, which is be a high-volume passer and, you know, have have a lot of say in what happens in the game. I think this was more of a pedestrian game for him just simply because of the way the game turned out. But when he was on the field, I would agree with PD. This was definitely one of his better games. Uh, he was pretty accurate in this one. And even though he struggles with that from time to time in this game, he really didn't. Uh, once again, the run game wasn't particularly doing too much. And he was still able to shoulder the load offensively. He spread the ball out very, very well. This wasn't a game where it was just Cooper Cup and nobody else, which he does kind of seem to get into that mode a lot. Uh, but we do once again see the inconsistency, and for me, that's always been a problem with them. And we see it again this this game. Uh, if the Cardinals were able to do a little bit more, they might have been able to claw themselves back. But in that second half, we just saw drive after drive just go wrong, three and out, very quick ones, because I don't know for whatever reason, Stafford just did not seem to be on the same page uh, with his offense. Uh, but I will still say, despite that, a pretty above-average performance. All right, moving on to the next one. This one's rough. Um, puts the yeah. ball in harm's way multiple times against the Niners. Um, extremely heavy uh, load for this one. 48 passes, 56 dropbacks. Takes seven sacks in this one. So that makes it very tough to have an efficient offense. Um, and he does have a dropped interception as well. Um so yeah, just just a very very poor game, um, I thought from Stafford in terms of decision making, um, and keeping the Rams afloat. So tough situation, but I I still think he could have definitely played better. Yeah, I absolutely agree. This was a very very poor performance from him, and we were just talking about the flip side, how the Niners' offense was kind of you know getting going in this one because of how much better. Kyle Shanahan has been at uh, coaching in his individual games uh, versus Sean McVay, and this was another example of that. Uh, but with even with that being said, this being a tough situation, like PD said, this was a very, very bad performance from him. Even though he dropped back a bunch of times, he was taking pressure what felt like almost every play, and he took a lot of sacks. And that was also 
the Rams' offensive line being bad and the 49ers' front seven is obviously very, very impressive. They shut down that run game completely, which didn't help Stafford either. But Stafford was kind of just holding on to the ball way too much. He looked very, very flustered by that Niners team. He was making a lot of mistakes, which normally out of Stafford, you see him make one major mistake a game. And we saw probably like three, four in this one, which is even that's uncharacteristic for him. And we saw him go back into that, you know what, I'm just going to throw it to Cooper Cup every play and see what happens kind of mode. And when he's in that, yeah, it does lead to good offense on some drives, but it's not very consistent and it's not something you can go to all the time. And that's why I think this was a little disappointing of a performance from him overall. All right, moving on to the next game. This one's probably his worst game of the season, in my opinion, um, against Dallas. They're totally overmatched in terms of the offensive line. He took he takes five sacks. Um Puts the ball in harm's way three times, uh, plus a fumble. So four in total. Um, only one of them punished in terms of the interceptable passes. Um, and then the other fumble as well, which was recovered for a touchdown. Um, yeah, just just really, really poor play. Um, did a very bad job protecting the football. Um, he was somewhat aggressive in trying to lead them to a victory late in this game. But yeah, I mean, just just not enough too little, too late um, to recover this disaster of performance. For a second there, I thought you said this was a game of the season. And I was like, I, I don't know about that. But yeah, one of the wor- worst games of his season, I would absolutely agree. He once again put the ball in harm's way countless times. Once again, took a lot of pressure and a lot of sacks. Uh, once again, the second guessing himself, holding the ball way too long. Uh, the run game did get shut down again, which, you know, I've been saying it's a common theme. But this was just another game where he got back to, I'm just going to throw it to Cooper Cup in every play and see what happens. Uh, and that's just not a successful form of offense. He was inaccurate again. And I think the yards kind of got stat padded by a very, very big play from Cooper Cup, which to me was mostly Cooper Cup's doing. It wasn't really a particularly impressive play from Stafford. Uh, and the fact that statistically he got outperformed by his punter, Riley Dixon, granted it was one throw, but it is funny to say, uh, and he didn't look that much better from his counterpart in this game, Cooper Rush. Uh, Cooper Rush was very limited, to be fair, but with the amount of mistakes Stafford had in this game, I would say they were pretty close in terms of how much value they added to this game. Uh, just very, very disappointing performance from him. Yeah, and moving on to the next one. Um, yeah, this this one was a little bit more of a recovery uh, because the Carolina defense is nowhere near the Dallas defense in terms of their pass rush. So oh, Stafford was – yeah, definitely. And Stafford was under way less pressure this time. And he was able to take advantage with a number of solid short throws um, and a couple of intermediate field stretchers. Um, did put the ball – or did have an interception, but I didn't think that one was his fault. Um and yeah, only took one sack. So a very clean game, um, very accurate, uh, decisive. Um, the Rams kind of helped him by scheming to avoid the pass rush, and he kind of took advantage of that for a solid game. Yeah, to me, this game was less Stafford improving da- drastically and more just the competition 
getting a lot worse in this game compared to previous weeks. And that's why it looked like a bit of a bounce back performance from him. But with that being said, he was quite accurate in this one, uh, a lot more accurate than we've seen in a lot of his other games. Uh, he got back to spreading the ball rather than solely throwing it to Cooper Cup, which, like I said, every time he does do that, the Rams' offense is a lot more successful. Uh, we see a little bit more creative of a run scheme here from the Rams because it was quite obvious their normal ground-and-pound sort of game and just switch the running back sort of system did not work because every single running back at this point in the season was not playing well for them. And I think that little creativity unlocked more options for Matthew Stafford and that allowed him to get it to more people. More people were running open uh, and he was reading the defenses. Granted, there were not too many people covered. He did not have a hard time there wasn't a whole lot of pressure in his face. It wasn't tough competition, but he still did his job. So I'd say above average performance here. All right, moving on to the next week. This is more of the same uh, against San Francisco. I thought he played a pretty solid game, um, despite the fact that the, the Niners' defense definitely overmatches the Rams' offensive line. Um, they did a pretty good job in terms of uh, avoiding the pass rush in this one. Uh, again, just just trying to scheme it so that they could get the ball out of Stafford's hands um, a lot more than they did earlier in the season. Um, and yeah, he played a pretty solid game, pushed the ball down the field a couple of times for some nice throws. Um, and yeah, I, I appreciated the way that he and the Rams offense played overall um, much more than points earlier in the season, um, despite the fact that it didn't really lead to the most points in, in the box score. I don't think that was all, all him. Yeah, I agreed that this was just another one of those situations where they were clearly overmatched and never really had a shot here. And Stafford made the best out of a really, really bad situation. Uh, once again, the run game got absolutely stuffed. Uh, they really had to go away from it, to be honest, because of how bad they were doing. Uh, but I did like, once again, the fact that Stafford was spreading the ball out Obviously, with that being said, he still didn't have a good overall offensive performance in the scoreboard. But like Petey said, the offense still looked a lot more fluent than we would have seen in a lot of their other games passing the ball. So props to him for that. Against a very, very good Niners uh, pass rush, he didn't take nearly as much pressure and sacks as he has been in previous games, which was also pretty impressive to me. Uh, which you also touched on. Uh, I still think his accuracy was quite shaky in this one. Uh, I would have liked him to be a little bit better in getting the ball. And it wasn't even the fact that he missed a lot of passes. It was just the way he was missing when he did uh, miss his guys. It was either a wild overthrow or balls completely in the dirt. It was just really concerning to see it because it seemed like at this point his Throwing motion was just inconsistent. And speaking of inconsistent, he was that in this game as well. In that first half, honestly, the game was definitely not out of reach and it did not look like the Rams were completely overmatched. It actually looked like one of those games where the Rams hang around for a little bit uh, when they're not having their best half and then Stafford puts together and strikes in the second half, which we saw plenty of times in one of his better years last year with the Rams. Uh, but this year, it certainly was not the case. They let the Niners just blow the game open in the second half, and that's because 
drive in and drive out. Stafford just was not able to string together good plays in the second half. Uh, just a tough second half for him. Overall, I'd say it was okay. Uh, but I would have liked to see more for sure. All right, moving on to the second-to-last game of Stafford's season. It's the Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay game, and um, this one was this one was very bad. Um, he puts the ball in harm's way twice um, for for no interceptions because both of them were dropped, um, and he has another one, uh, another play where he has an ugly fumble. Um, takes four sacks in this one. the The pressure rate was very high, um, despite the fact that he only dropped back about thirty one times. Um, and threw the ball 27 times. Like, he, he still took four sacks, which is a really high rate uh, for that number of dropbacks. Um, just the accuracy, consistency from the Rams' offense were, was just really not there. He missed a, a ton of throws in this game. Made a few big-time throws down the field, which is helpful from saving this one from worst game of the season level. But, yeah, the consistency element was just totally not there, and it led to a really poor performance from the Rams overall. Yeah, I, I honestly, you put that very, very well. A lot of that is the same things I've, I would have said, and I think this game really, really, uh, I know I say this a lot, but this game represented what Stafford's season looked like. It was super up and down. We did have a, a couple of good plays in there, not as many as you know you would have liked, but sure, there were a couple of good ones. There was a great big pass to Cooper Cup, uh, and it was, I guess, cool to see that he was still a little bit trying to attack downfield, but all those issues that he's had this whole season came back in this one. Accuracy was terrible. He was taking pressure again and taking a lot of sacks. Almost every play that he dropped back, I felt like he was facing pressure. Uh, he put the ball in harm's way twice, like PD said, with the dropped picks. Uh, another point of concern that he clearly did not smooth out. And, we can see in the stat sheet, once again, he did not spread the ball out, and we see a poor offensive performance from the Rams. Uh, that just goes hand-in-hand hand at this point. Uh, not Yeah, not much more to add. They're just a very, very, very bad game for him. All right, quickly touching on the final game where he gets injured and, and leaves. Um, th- this game was his best game of the season in terms of an efficiency standpoint, I think. He made three extremely impressive throws. One of them, one of the most impressive throws of the season, I would say. This incredible throw down the left sideline to Van Jefferson for for a deep touchdown. Just extremely good play before he left the field. Um, yeah, and I really do wish we would have seen more of that game because it was awesome to watch. Um, yeah, unfortunate that he got injured and missed the rest of the season. But um, yeah, this was a concern like we highlighted at the beginning um, of of this part of the episode. And and yeah. Um, yeah, unfortunate that it had to happen again. Yeah, uh, I do remember that big touchdown pass. I actually believe it was to Tutu Atwell rather than Van Jefferson, but I do agree. Very, very impressive right there. And I will support, I will second you in the sense that this was probably one of his better starts to a game. Uh, he was very, very efficient compared to his other games. He was attacking downfield. We saw him be more accurate. He wasn't taking a whole lot of pressure because he was making decisions fast and he was spreading the ball as well. I think at this point he didn't even have Cooper cup because I believe Cooper cup just got injured uh, and ended up ending his season as well. So you finally saw Stafford forced to 
you know, utilize his entire offense. And maybe that is why he was playing well. But with Stafford being so up and down, uh, I can't say in that second half he would have came out and being the same Stafford because we saw countless times this season where he did come out hot, maybe not as hot as this game and maybe not as efficient as this game, but he did have many situations where he did come out firing and he handed out very, very flat. Uh, But I also would have loved to see him in this game and the rest of the season as well. Uh, After this point, the Rams pretty much had to throw away their season and it would have been nice to allow Stafford to have a couple more games to get himself back into the rhythm, maybe find whatever magic he had found uh, in that previous season, especially to end it off. Because like I was saying just at the start of the Stafford uh, portion of the pod, he was really, really good that season. And it seemed to have been completely lost here. And just when he was maybe starting to get his stride back, he gets injured. And it's very unfortunate, but it seems to kind of be the tale with Matthew Stafford. Yeah, so that'll wrap up our Matthew Stafford section of this episode. Let's quickly run through Brett Ripon's games from last year. Um, He had a little bit of time substituting for Russ when Russ got injured for Denver. Um, None of those games went well. Um, against the Jets, he was asked to do way too much for him. Extremely inaccurate, puts the ball in harm's way four times, three of them being interceptable passes, one being a fumble. Um, and then subbing in against Kansas City when Russ got concussed, um, had a horrible fumble around the goal line and another interception. That one wasn't his fault, but horrible fumble that really hurt them. Um, and then the Arizona game, he was okay, put the ball in harm's way one time for an interception, and then they didn't ask him to do much more than that. Um, just keeping the ball close to the line of scrimmage. Um, and then when he came in uh, after Russ got benched against the Rams, um, puts the ball in harm's way for an interception. Um, yeah, just just a poor performance there again. So um, Brett Rippon, not a good player, um, way too aggressive with the football, um, just doesn't really understand his limitations and is extremely inaccurate. So, um, yeah, if he if Stafford goes down and they have to play Brett Rippon, um, I, would, I would not. Yeah, they're be, in tough um, shit. Yeah, they would in tough shape um and then Stetson Bennett um we did uh, a little bit of a breakdown of him on the rookie episode um so you can go check that out like we referenced for Aiden O'Connell um just a solid player um has a decent feel for the game um can really move and yeah there's 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 a bunch of things that he does at an okay level at the college level um, but I'm not really sure about how it translates. So if he gets some time to play, I, I, I think they would be in, in pretty pretty bad shape as well. So yep. let's talk about the team okay, scheme sure, and – yeah, so let's talk about the team scheme and um, the way that they project for this season. Um, I'll let you go first on this one since you haven't answered first for any of these in a while. Yeah, for sure. Uh, honestly, I think this is going to be a very, very tough situation for Stafford. Uh, obviously, he does have that connection with McVeigh, and that'll ob- always put him in a situation where he's in a system where he can't succeed. And obviously, we saw it two years ago with that Super Bowl run. But if you go down uh, this team around him right now, it's really not in the best shape. Uh, I think Stafford thrives best when he does have a consistent run game, uh, which we also saw in that Super Bowl winning year. Uh, I mean, there, it wasn't necessarily a consistent run game because they did have to throw a lot with Stafford, but it was something that they could at least go to. 
it wasn't something that they had to completely take away from uh, because they were getting two, three yards of carry and get absolutely shut down. They needed to improve on it just a little bit, and they didn't really add any talent in the running back room, and I think that is a poor fit as well. Uh, I would have loved to see them just add some talent there to maybe offset the load for Stafford. Uh, we did say, obviously, he likes to throw the ball a whole lot of times, but just because he can do that doesn't mean he needs to, and with how good the Rams' running scheme has been for years before, we saw plenty of running backs succeed. Uh, I don't see why they're not trying to put that talent around Stafford here. Uh, in terms of the receiver room, obviously him and Cooper Cup, one of the best duos, quarterback-receiver duos in the league. And I think if Cooper Cup comes back healthy, we're going to see that in full swing once again. I think a healthy Cooper Cup, in my opinion, is the best receiver in the league, uh, if not Justin Jefferson. So I think that's great for him. But outside of that, there's really no talent to look forward to for them. Guys like Van Jefferson, Skaronic, Tutu Atwell, Demarcus Robinson are probably gadget guys or wide receiver fours, wide receiver fives on other teams. The fact that those guys are going to have to play big roles in this offense and be secondary talents to Cooper Cup is really, really concerning, to be quite honest. And I think with a guy like Stafford, yeah, he has had plenty of times where he's succeeded with one receiver. We saw it in that season with Cup. We saw it many years with uh, Calvin Johnson. But like I was saying last year, the Rams' offense was good when Stafford was spreading the ball, when they were getting it to multiple playmakers, rather than just, fuck it, let Cooper Cup do his thing. And if we're going to see another season of that, that's also really, really concerning. I don't see why they would have at least attempt. They wouldn't at least attempt to surround him with more receiver talent. Uh, we even saw last year a little bit, even though it didn't work out. They did try to bring in a guy like Allen Robinson, and in the previous year they did surround a Cooper Cup with Robert Woods and Odell. So I don't see why they didn't even attempt to add a receiver here. Uh, but. The, with that being said, Tyler Higby, I think, is a great fit with Stafford as well. They have a good connection. Uh, he seems to play that tight end role in the Rams and McVay's offense pretty well. So I think that was a good keep there. Uh, and, and as far as the offensive line, ever since that Super Bowl year, it's been deteriorating. And I think this might be one of the worser ones. I think... Guys like Brian Allen, Havenstein, Noteboom, they're guys who have been in the system for like a couple years now, and I think retaining them and having them there is fine. But someone like Coleman Shelton, Steve Avia, I'm not particularly impressed by that. I think they do have big holes. And when you have a guy like Matthew Stafford, who obviously we've been talking about how much injuries he's had to deal with, you want to give him better protection at this point in his career. Uh, especially after he just missed nearly half a season just last year and killed your guys' entire year. So this might just be a transitional period for the Rams because they clearly did not put in effort to surround Matthew Stafford. I don't know if they want to make him the bridge guy, but I really do not like the fit around him. And with that being said, getting into my projections for him, I do think there is some talent there, and uh, this is similar to that Ryan Tannehill kind of projection where even though I think guys like Ryan Tannehill and Matthew Stafford do have talent to go to, and maybe in another team they might be able to succeed. But I think in this current situation, uh, he will be limited. 
I would put him probably in the mid twenties in terms of quarterback in his as his median ranking. Uh, and I think he'd be even lower if he didn't have someone like Cooper Cup to probably stat pad him and make him look a little bit better. Uh, and if things do go well, maybe he finds that groove that he had in uh, 2021. And maybe they make some additions, you know, throughout the year to help Stafford. Or maybe Cam Akers takes off and that run game is a bit better and that helps Stafford out. I could see him leap to quite a bit to like the mid-teens range because really I think that's where a healthy Stafford on a good team could be. I think that's where he would have ended up being like an average sort of quarterback. And I think if things don't go his way, maybe there's more injuries that hurt him or maybe Cooper Cup goes down and he's just in a terrible situation. I could see him being a high-level backup uh, type of production. And that it is sad to say with Stafford being such a big talent, but at this point, that might be where he is if things go wrong. Yeah, um, so I'll kind of touch on the my opinion of the roster and the coaching and stuff like that. So this this team has a few guys that I think can be contributors. Um, I think Cam Akers with an extra year and offseason of coming off that injury will be a strong running back. Um, and I think Cooper Cup is an elite player, um, and his chemistry with Stafford is pretty obvious. Um, and then Tyler Higby is a decent player. Um, and then Joe Nopum is also a decent player along with Brian Allen. And then I think Rob Havenstein is also a good player. But the depth on this this offense is absolutely disgusting. Like um, Van Jefferson, Ben Skoranek beyond Higby and Cup, and then Demarcus Robinson and Tutu Atwell. Um, Puka Nakua is someone who I actually actually kind of like to, to be kind of a depth piece by next year or something like that. But um, yeah, for now, this 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 depth on the line uh, as well is is really bad. Um, we kind of discussed before the podcast there the depth issues on defense as well. Um, so yep. yeah, clearly suffering from um, how how much they went all in during that twenty twenty one Super Bowl run. Um, and yeah, I think he obviously um, Stafford's biggest strength at this point is his ability to shoulder heavy volume. Um, and that's the same case, same thing for Cooper Cup. So I don't think that can change, or and I don't think that should change. Um, I think that building through other receivers being like lower volume, higher efficiency guys, like Marquez Valdez Scantling would be the perfect guy for me to talk about like that. So um, that's kind of the way I would I would build the offense around those two. Um, and then in terms of like his his scheme fit, like we know we know what he's successful with. Um, he's successful with these big drop back passes where he can push the ball over the intermediate areas on these dig routes um, or outside the numbers uh, on these posts off play action. Those are kind of his, his best throws. Um, And also using like his different arm angles and stuff to push the ball outside on screen passes and and get it to Cooper cup. Um, So I think all of that can be present, but some of those elements like the play action game, um, and the deep drop back passing game will be weakened with the fact that the offensive line is not consistent across the board. Um, and then to think about how he might finish uh, at the end of the season in terms of level of play. So um, low end outcome, like we said for Jimmy G, um, I think he could at worst be like a high end backup type. Um, and then 
in like the 25th percentile outcome, it's more like a lower end starter in that like 27 to 29 type of range. Um, median outcome, I, I do feel decent confidence um, with him. It would be probably closer to 16 to 18. Um, I think he's still a good player um, when he can be healthy. But again, that, that's a very much a theoretical concept at this point. Um, so I am going to tax him for what I expect to be him playing through injury at some point during the season. Um, and and then looking at um, how he could be at higher end outcomes. So 75th percentile, maybe they have a bunch of development along the offensive line and the receivers start to grow as the season goes on. And he looks more like the 10th to 12th best quarterback, um, which is kind of what he was looking at, like at points um, in the 2021 season before he took off. Um, and in the 100th percentile outcome, everything breaks the right for him. Um, all the receivers have significant development. The offensive line reaches their high-end outcomes. Um, and he looks like the guy he looked like down the stretch for 2021, which is clearly into the top 10 of, of quarterback play. So um, that's yeah. what I think for Stafford. Um, in terms of Brett Rippon, um, the range here is pretty small and it's bad. Um, he's a low end backup at his ceiling. He's going to be like more like a mid tier backup and as worse, he's going to be something like a third stringer. Um, and Stetson Bennett is pretty much confined to a third stringer, I think. Yeah, I didn't, I forgot completely to mention those two, but, uh, I pretty much agree with the earth takes on repeat and Stetson Bennett there. I think Stetson's definitely one of those guys that got drafted because he has so much experience and he will definitely be buried in the depth chart. But I could see him sticking around for a while because he seems like the type of guy you could throw into any offense and he'll keep you afloat. And Brett Ripien, after how poorly he performed in those games that Petey talked about, I I don't really see a future for him. So I think he's pretty stuck at a low-end backup as well. And honestly, considering how... Uh, Stafford's injury situation has been, which we keep going into. I'd like for them to get a better backup, you know, something, someone they can actually rely on. So that should definitely be a point of concern for them. All right. So that will wrap up this episode. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure to like, leave a rating, do what you need to do on whatever platform you're listening on. Um, that'll be all yep. from me. That'll be all from Potty. We will see you guys in the next episode. Peace.